Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfi. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I am pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership bassist Aaron Mills, best known for his longtime association with iconic funk group Cameo. Having laid down countless ferocious grooves with that band from 1979 onward, he has also recorded with one of rap's premier acts in Outcast. Among his other credits are Ramsey Lewis, Charles Irland, CeeLo Green, and Gwen Stefani. And he has some new music of his own for 2023. Aaron, man, how are you? Thank you for joining me. Well, it's my pleasure, Scott. I'm sorry we had such a problem getting connected, but I'm here. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm well. All right. Yeah, well, we're going to make it work. You know, it's like you can't keep funk down. You know what I mean? Well, you can't stop the funk. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't gonna let it happen for sure. And uh, so you're okay. you're my uh, fellow North Carolinian here, right? That's uh, where you are today. Yes, I'm in North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina. Uh huh. Yes. And, Waiting uh, on the game. Uh huh. And you're from yeah. there originally? Is that right? Yeah, I'm from from North Carolina originally. Originally Asheville, up in the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, anyway, I'm, I moved to Durham in the 70s, so I'm, I'm pretty settled in now. I'm settled in Durham, North Carolina. All right. Well, hey, you know, thank you for doing this. I appreciate I've been a fan for so long, you know, and uh, you've laid down some of the, you know, most iconic and best funk grooves, I think, ever. So, you know, excited to have you. Well, it's my pleasure. As I said before, it's, it's been great. All right. So let's... Uh, dive right in then and uh you know uh forgive me if i if i um step on you uh here and there you know when we just do the voice it's a little more challenging to know when uh one of us might be saying something but we'll make it work <laughs> well forgive me if i override you sometimes i have a tendency once i get going i can't be quiet so let's go 
All right. Here we, we get go. It. Yeah. So, uh, Aaron, man, your, your father uh, played sax, I understand. And um, so you had music in the house. Uh, what steered you, though, to bass in particular? Well, when I was a, a kid, I was around seven years old. My dad, he played with Lyon Hampton. And uh, he played saxophone, and then he was a vocalist. And my mother played piano in church. So I had music all around me. It was it was good growing up. And were you hearing mostly uh, like uh, jazz or standards or what was uh, playing around the house? Around the house, you had um, also my father was a DJ, a disc jockey on the radio station there, and so we had little jazz going on, R and B. Along with some R and B, and it was it was a very um, interesting home to be in, full of music. And, and why did you choose the bass? Why, why did that speak to you? Well, I, I actually bass was thrown on me. It was it was thrown at me. I had uh, a brother that played guitar. And a cousin that played drums, and one played organ, and one played trombone. So uh, one day we were messing around practicing, and I said, um, you know, my brother said, we need a bass player. So I said, well, you know, I'll try it, and uh, I got a bass. And that's how I got into it. It was, it was like, it was like candy. It was good to me. <laughs> and I stuck with it. Yeah. It was like, good to me. Like candy, yeah, I can dig it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, who were some of your uh, influences and heroes, you know, on bass and just music in general? Um, well, of course, um, starting out, James Jamison, um, Willie Weeks, another bassist, uh, Jaco Pastorio, him, and uh, myself and Several cats, you know, local cats, they were like great. I met this bass player. He was playing with Chuck Jackson, and he didn't have nothing but the nubs on his hands. Half of his fingers were gone. They got chopped off, but he was a great bassist, and he taught me how to play. Taught me about, you know, playing simple and, you know, just a steady groove. He didn't do much. He just laid in the pocket. So I learned a lot from him. And this guy was, like I said, he, uh, if you bend your fingers, that's all he had to play with, just the nubs of his fingers. He was great. And um, so that, that inspired me to play. Really did. Wow, that's interesting, because um reminds me of uh, Tony uh, Iommi, the guitar player for Black Sabbath, had a, one of his fingers lost in a machine accident. That kind of helped give him uh -huh. a unique unique style on the guitar because one of his, you know, fingers was just a stub. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you have to work with whatever you got, got to work with. I heard that. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, and you had some academic training, right? You went to uh, school for music. Yeah. I went to school. Um, I first went to school, um, in, um, Charlotte, North Carolina, at Central, Com Central Piedmont Community College. I went two years there for jazz, 
And then Central, I went three years uh, for jazz, and, um, you know, it was good for me. Got me some theory down and, you know, learned a few things. You know, you learn you learn a lot when you take school uh, music. And it was exciting, and I, I, I loved it. I loved it. I really did. And you ended up getting uh, involved with uh, a program that Donald Byrd was uh, part of, right, uh, in North Carolina. Can you can you explain how that was? Okay, so I met Byrd. Um, Donald Byrd was teaching at Central. This was around the year of around seventy four, seventy five, nineteen seventy four, seventy five, and uh, me and two other friends of mine, we got involved in the jazz program and Bird was there and he um, liked the way that we played and so we recorded some songs and that it took off with Bird. That started us off and um, we went to California and recorded on the United Artists label. We did an album called Super Trick. NCCU was the name of the group and through that you know, that gave us some grip, as you would say. It gave us something to latch on to, and we just, we did it, you know, with NCCU, and that propelled us into what we are today. What uh, what impressed you about Donald Byrd? What was he like? Oh, man, he was great. He was, he was, Byrd was like, um, you know, those old guys, they they were like perfection. They were perfect. They were, you know, perfectionists. And Bird would have us like going over scales and learning songs all day, all day, all night practicing. And um that that in you know, that enhances your ability to play. And uh, Bird, he was like, he was like a master. He was the master. I mean, for a young kid coming out of North Carolina, wow, Donald Bird at that time, I was blessed to be in his presence. And how, big of, that, how big of a group was that? I mean, it must have been a lot of players, right? Uh, we had um, like about nine, a nine-piece group. Eight or nine, yeah, nine, nine people in the group. It was it was big. Had horns, the whole thing. We had a, a big band. That's what we used to call it, a big small band. But it was it was big to me. It was great too. Well, and that was right around the time that he got the Blackbirds going too. So, um, did you get to to meet those guys, or were you, how how where were you of the Blackbirds? Well, I met the Blackbirds. I met Kevin, Tony, Orville, all the all the guys. I met them all. And uh, sometimes we'd go up to uh, Howard University and play with them. It was a, it was it was a great experience to be around so much talent. You know, it was good for me. It was really good for us. Well, in that record, for people that don't know, I mean, anyone who's a jazz funk uh, fan should definitely check out that that record. Um, I love your love, Donald Bird. 
I think I did a cut with Bird called I Love Your Love. And uh, which is a very hidden, very good song. And I had another great bassist from Durham that recorded with Bird and Chip Crawford played piano. And this bass player's name um, was Ronnie Garrett. And they had a band called 125th Street. Donald Bird and 125th Street. They were great. For NCCU, that whole record, you know, was just great jazz funk. Very much, I thought, about at a level of the Blackbirds. You know, I guess it didn't get the attention that they got, but um, it's right. too bad because it was it was a solid record. Oh, it was solid. It was a great record. You know, um, just unfortunately, it didn't get the attention like the Blackbirds and some of the other groups, but it was it was good. It was a good stepping stone, I'll tell you that. It was great. How come it ended up just being one and done on that project? Well, um, we had a production deal with Bird, um, you know, and uh, he signed. We signed with the United Artists, and they just wanted one album, and we did that album. And after that, we did we did another record. The group recorded another record, and um, we put it out by ourselves and it just went on and went so far but it was it was still good it was great hmm. and so aaron mm -hmm. i understand it was basically uh you know was it larry blackman saw that group play or how did you make that connection well um back in the day cameo and um nccu Frankie Beverly, groups from that era, we used to do concerts together, and we had one particular concert in Charlotte. And uh, so Cameo was playing first, and um, they blew, blew the speakers out, the, the monitors out off the stage, blew them out. And uh, that's how me and Larry met. And uh, so we just traded numbers, and it, from there became friends, and... Um, we just hooked up and did it, you know. Got with Cameo. But there's a story behind that, if I may take the time to tell you. Oh, absolutely. That's so, why we're here, man. Go for it. All right. So why um, um, I was wanting to, NCCU was going through some problems, and I was frustrated with that. So um, one Sunday at the church, I was putting my key in the door, getting ready to come in the house, and the phone was ringing. And so I made it to the phone. It was Larry Blackman on the other end. He, he says, is Aaron Mills? La-da-da-da-da. I said, yeah. And he said, well, look, man, we need a basis. Will you come to New York? And I said, heck, yeah, I'll come, come to New York. So he sent me a plane ticket. That was the next day. That was on a Monday. I went to New York, and... Um, that Tuesday we rehearsed, and that Wednesday we went to play in Cincinnati or some, I think it was Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, either Cleveland, someplace in, uh, somewhere in Ohio. But that's how I got started with Cameo. So wow. that goes to show you, <laughs> you know, the little luck is involved in it and people making it. Some I luck. 
some luck and also just uh you know being prepared when opportunity came right oh yeah you got to be prepared that's what i you don't, don't even have to say that you have to be prepared yes i i i was blessed how how well did you know their their repertoire you know i mean did you already know some of cameo's material going into that Actually, I did not know anything by Cameo. I mean, I had heard them, but I didn't know it, you know. But um, Bird had us so prepared for anything that comes about. You know, I was reading music every day, and um, so prior to doing that first gig, I wrote some charts out, bass charts, and I just memorized them, and I did it. did the songs. Wow. So that was uh, about 1978? Uh, 77, 77, 78, somewhere in there. It's been so long ago, I can't remember when it was. <laughs> it's Yeah, about 78. Yeah. yeah. So people know, I mean, that's when Cameo was big. There were like 10 guys, right, with a full horn section and everything. Oh, yeah. Cameo was a large, a lot of members in Cameo. I saw I saw Cameo play the Hollywood Palladium in California right around that time, you know, and uh, it, it was one of the wildest shows I had seen at that point. I mean, the guys were all over the stage, super active, you know, and busy and just really uh, energetic show. Oh, yes. Yeah, Cameo has, um, at that time, we had like 14 people and the band and um we did an energetic show a lot of choreography you had to play and do choreography larry would not have it any other way you had to play and sing and you had to do it all so you know we we um you had to be in shape we stressed being in shape and uh, that was that's how we got the uh show together rehearsed every day every night and um from there it just blew up into everybody's face cameo was great who who is great who did you replace on bass i replaced a guy by the name of gary dow yeah gary dow that's his name gary dow from new york he was a good bass player but um, and I've seen him. Um, he came to one of our shows. We played uh, at BB King's in New York, and he came out to the show. He's a very nice guy. And he plays well too. But um, anyway, Aaron, what what uh, what struck you about Larry Blackman in your early encounters with him? You know, what was he like, just in terms of his personality and also his talent? His talent, his personality was like, by Larry being a Gemini, you don't know what you're going to run him. One day he's one way, you know, he may speak to you. It's sort of like my dad. My dad was a Gemini too. He, he, hard on, he was hard on everybody. He loved to rehearse. And as far as a musician, he was a great funk drummer. He could play some funk. He was a great drummer. Impeccable timing. His timing was off the charts. 
And it's not often that you run into a drummer that can do all the things and, and just lay in that pocket and make it, make you dance to it. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal. He's great. How much uh, direction did he give you what he wanted from you on bass? Um, well, at that time he let us, he let us go. Now, you know, we could play what we wanted to play. Lawrence was good to his ear. And, um, but he gave me the freedom to do what I wanted to do. Yes. You know, I mean, you know, a good musician knows what makes a drummer click. You know what I'm saying? A bass player, a good bass player knows what a drummer wants. And that's, I come from that school, you know, you know, you just don't play anything. You got to play the right, give it the right medicine, the right ingredients, the right ingredients, you know, just can't get up there and play what you want to play, but you got to, you know, fulfill his dreams, so to speak. You got to satisfy him. And, and with that, satisfying yourself. So it's, it's, um, it was great. Larry, I had no problems with Larry being the way he was and the way he is. How, how, long, people, was it, uh, how long was it? Aaron, how long was it, Aaron, before you uh, first went in the studio with them? How long was I with Cameo before I went in the studio with them? Yeah, yeah. You played but, that. You played but, that gig in twenty four hours. So then, you know, after yeah. that, how long before you got in the studio with them? Oh, maybe about a month. Yeah, I think about a month. Did that gig and because uh, we had the Ugly Ego album, and I came in on Secret Omen. It was right after that. It was, yeah, it was about a month. You know, we started working on Secret Omen. Okay, so uh, mm -hmm. just to review with viewers, so that was uh, Secret Omen. I think was their fourth album, if I'm remembering. And uh, that, of course, mm -hmm. had, had a huge hit with uh, "I Just Want to Be." Uh, are you on? Yes. I just want. Are you on that track? I just want to be. Yes, I did. Yes, I am. I played. I just want to be. All right. So I got to tell you. To, to me, that's like one of the most um, innovative funk tracks there was. You know, at that time, you know, you had uh, Parliament, you know, and some others doing some stuff that was real innovative. But that track, you know, was definitely different. And uh, I still think it's one of the, you know, best, most innovative funk tracks ever. So what can you tell people or do you remember about that coming together at all? Yeah, well, it was like we were in, um, we used to rehearse at this place called Daily Planet. And we were just rehearsing and we struck, we, you know, like any band, just get together and play jam some. And we plant we're jamming, and I must have did that on bass. And Larry says, "Man, do that again. Play that again." And I just laid it out for him. He wrote the lyrics, and we just formulate form the tune right there. I mean, you know, it's it was great. Just the uh, percussion, yeah, yeah. The, the percussion they added to it, and the triangle, and all those elements just are so cool on that track. 
Oh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Very much. Yeah, Tommy, Tommy Jenkins um, played uh, the Quigger uh, thing, whatever that, Quigger or something like that. But uh, Tommy was experimenting with that, and uh, we came up with different sounds for that track, but it was a good track. Yes. And also that record had a, one of my favorite ballads by them, Sparkle. Uh-huh. Yeah, Sparkle. Yes, yeah, Sparkle. That's another one of my favorite cameo songs, Sparkle, which is started off with the bass. And um, we just, you know, you just put things together and let it let it ride. Some of it you, you go with, some of it you say, we got to listen to it. You say, well, we can do without that, you know, just to, just to write a song is to like, like baking a cake. You know, you can put too much sugar in it. You can overplay and put a lot of stuff in it that's not needed. So we just keep it simple, but keep your part interesting, you know. And uh, that's that, that sparkle was something else. That's what gave sparkle the sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And on keyboards then was Gregory Johnson, right? He was uh, laying down some good keys too. Yeah. Gregory Johnson, mm -hmm. and later on we had T.C. Thomas Campbell. I don't know if T.C. We had a keyboard player by the name of Thomas Campbell, but Gregory Johnson definitely. Yeah, yeah, he was he was, he, he, was he, he was sticking the funk. Uh, he was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was funky. Yeah, on that mood playing stuff and. Uh, Greg, we call him the Funkster. He was funky. How did you feel, Aaron, when you first heard one of your uh, songs you were on on the radio? Man, that that is a feeling of, you know, I, I hate to say this, that's a feeling that makes you want to think you made it, well, you made it to that point, but I felt great. I thought I was gone. I thought I was going to be big, big, and um, it's a good feeling. It's really a good feeling. All the time that I put into something to hear yourself on the radio, any person, anybody in the arts, I mean, you know, it's a struggle tonight because a lot of people don't get there to hear themselves on the radio, to hear consistently. It can blow your mind, I tell you. It was great. It's a good feeling. Who who were some of the other like contemporary funk bass players at that time that you know you were big on? You know whether it was uh, you know Bootsy or um, you know Larry Graham, Lewis whoever. Johnson. Yeah, who were some of the guys? Lewis Johnson, Brothers Johnson, um, Grams, Graham, Larry Graham, and. Um, as you said, Bootsy, um, Mark Adams, Nathan Phillips. With uh, Nathan was what's the name of the group? They from the um, Pleasure. The, pleasure, yeah, Pleasure. Those guys, and um, there's just a host of great bass players. 
I must say, some great bass players. And nowadays, they playing anything. You got female bass players out playing. I mean, playing some stuff that, gosh, man, they're great. Yeah. So, um, at that time, man, uh, Cameo was just pumping out the records one after another album, at least one album every year, sometimes two in a year. And every one of mm -hmm. them, every one of them was stacked with jams, you know? So it was an incredible yeah. run, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cameo was putting out two albums. I remember once we were putting two albums out a year. And uh, it was a lot of studio work. And, um, you know, you just have to do what you got to do. You're in demand. You know, people want to hear you. You got to fulfill your contract. Ain't no time to sleep. Time to roll. Time to get it. Get it done. Yeah, that's so, what we did. So you're you're on um, Shake Your Pants and um, you're on Keep It Hot? Yes. Yep, keep it hot. Awesome, Jam. Um, in fact, that Feel Me uh, is one of my favorite cameo albums overall. Yes, that album is great. That's that's one of the that's my favorite album by Cameo. I have to really really say that it's the sound of it was great. The production was great. The producing was good. The horn section was great. We had Earth Wind Fire horns. Um, it's just a good album. It's a good sounding album, and the vocals were great. And um, too much to feel me. It, it is just great. great. I mean, it's also got "Is This the Way" and um, "Feel Me." The title track's a great ballad, and um, mm -hmm. it just started off too. That was with you know it was an LP, so you had the side. That side one was just three. Uh, Heavy jams, just throw it down. Your love takes me out and keep it hot. Wow. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fire, man. Fire. I forgot. Excuse me. What did you say? I said fire. It was fire. Oh yeah, it was fire. It was a great album. What you What do you remember? Feel me. What What do you remember? Yeah. What do you remember about some of those, um, like? funk bills on other you know uh bills with um you know arcades and slave and maybe p funk and do you have any memories of those yes i have memories of them they're tucked way back in my mind but i can remember those those groups were hot too they were hot too and you had to perform you had to put on a show they were good groups but that, that era, man, everybody was like, you turn it out tonight, I'm going to kick your butt the next night. That's That was the attitude, you know, just surefire, a great show. If you spent your money to come to a show, you would see a good show. And um, the groups were of high caliber. Well, no, no shucking and jiving. You had to, you had to perform. Yes, sir. That was that, that was great. So it was, it's so competitive out here, to where you don't, you can't, you don't take the risk of, you don't, you won't take the risk of 
missing a note. You know, every part got to be bam, 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 just like hitting. Every everybody has to hit. So um, it's it was great. Yeah, and then uh, for cameo nights of the sound table, um, you're playing on Freaky Dancing. Yes. Yeah, another all-time classic. Um, and then one di- didn't hit as big, but I really liked them. That was "Don't Be So Cool." Oh yeah, "Don't Be So Cool" was a big, good record. Uh, we had um, Nona Hendrix come in the studio and do uh, "Don't Be So Cool" with us. And uh, if you don't know who Nona was, she used to sing with Patty LaBelle in the in the Bells, Blue Bell, Patty LaBelle, and the Bell, Blue Bell. She sang background with them. She was great. And um, so we had, a, you know, a host of other artists that come in and, you know, you feature, you know, feature someone else on the song. And uh, it was great. It's called Good Producing. So Larry was producing. What What would you say are, like, some characteristics of how he leads a session how he produces what he brings to it because you know cameo definitely always had its own unique sound larry's going to bring good good vocal arrangements they're not going to sound like anybody else's vocal arrangements and um, he's going to bring good horn playing good drumming he's going to bring his whole package and it's going to sound good. He's going to make sure that everybody's in tune. You know, that's the first thing. He's just a talented guy, individual. He's very talented. He's going to bring out the best of you. Even all of those other groups that were sort of cameo protege uh, acts, um, like Ellie Connection, things like that, they all still, to me, you know, had that, Larry Blackman touch a cameo flavor, you know? Oh yeah. Well, you know, for some producers, I'll say this. Um, sometimes as a producer, you have to get out of your own head and, you know, make, try some other sounds now. That that group, they sort of sounded like Cameo in a way, you know, and that can be a downfall. So, um, you know, at times I, I would tell Larry, you know, I, I think this sounds like a Cameo record, you know, which which may be good, but sometimes, it, you know, that can get in the way of what you're doing later on, you know, because you've given away so much of your your secrets or whatever you want to call them till, you know, it's not new anymore. Get still. Everybody sound like cameo. You know, I don't want, I just believe in every act sounding. You got to have something different. And I imagine that it was there, but you know, um, Sometimes a producer gets in his own way by, you know, creating something that sounds like him. And that can be a downfall. It's just like a, um, 
Well, I'm trying to think of somebody that produced it. Uh, like uh, Norman Connors. Norman Connors. He didn't pr he produce, but everything didn't sound the same, you know. Um, yeah, no, you're making... Yeah. I, I really appreciate the point you're making, Aaron, because that is so true, you know. And um, from a fan's perspective, if you love that cameo sound and there's other groups that kind of have that sound too, you're kind of glad because you have like bonus cameo songs, but... On the other side of it, that group's not getting its own identity and uh, able to sort of carve out its own niche. And also, it can dilute the main groups, what they do special. So, yeah, you're making a great point. So true. So true. That's what I'm saying right there. So, but, you know, we all have a lesson to learn. So, <laughs> so around that time, Aaron, in the early 80s, um, something happened with cameo uh you know a lot of guys got cut loose the group really went down in number of members and you went off and tried your own thing for a bit so what can you tell us about what transpired uh in the early 80s with the group okay well as far as with cameo and myself yeah gerald bright gerald bright and thomas camel two other guys that were in cameo we decided to go off and do something different. And, um, and we did just that. We signed a deal with Epic Records, recorded a record, and, um, you know, because some, so many people in a group, sometimes it's, it's good, but, you know, you, you're dealing with personalities and attitudes and things of that nature that can get in the way. And uh, anyway, we just decided to do something different, you know, and it, you know, but I always left the door open to come back in cameo. I didn't leave on no bad um, terms. I left on good terms. So um, we, we went on and did a record on Epic and um, it was titled MCB. Mills Campbell and Bright. It was a great record. It was a great experience. I tell you. Well, and I, I I brought up one of the tracks earlier, but I'll I'll say again, you know, time is right, you know, was nice slow funk on there and, and you got some good bass plucking throughout that whole MCB album. Yeah. Right, that was a great album, man. I now I reflect back on it. That was a good sounding album. We used Earth, Wind, and Fire horns, and it had to be right for us to use them. Um, I was playing my butt off. I was I was on top of my game then, and um, Lord have mercy, boy, that had taken off. If that had taken off, no telling where we would be right now. But you know, we did that album and. Um, it was fun doing it, and it was it was experience. It was a great experience doing that, you know, because um, everybody needs to have the room to grow. You want to be able to grow in your career. Not all the time somebody guiding you or telling you what to do. You need to get out there and find out what's going on yourself, and we did just that. And uh, so it was, it was a good experience. It really was. Well, I definitely, you know, felt some earth, wind, and fire 
influence in it overall and also a little bit of brothers johnson type vibe and uh can't fight the feeling definitely had a little bit of a cameo feel too mm-hmm. yes um that's thomas campbell that's tc campbell he could write a song he could write he was a good, great writer and gerald bright great friends of mine and um it's just a matter of getting into their heads what they want and and pulling it off you know knowing that you satisfying them and satisfying yourself and uh so it was great did did you guys get to do any like spotlight shows as mcb or uh did did you guys you know perform at all uh we did maybe one show in la yeah about one or two shows but um um, at that time, Michael Jackson, it's funny. In the old days, you know, a record company, if they had like uh, artists like Michael and you were on that label, they're going to put all the attention on the Michael and then the rest is to fall by the wayside. You had to, you know, you had to come up with your own production, uh, promotion, I should say money you know and we didn't have that budget behind us that's why the album we only did one record but um anyway that's how it is and uh so we we went out there and it paid off it paid off it may seem like it was a failure to some people but it, it still the work was great it was great there's much more to this great truth and rhythm interview just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.